Would you please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 16. Be resuming our sermon series through the letter to the Hebrews. And it's a joy to be back with you and to be looking at God's Word together this morning. If you would, join me in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, would you help us, Lord, this morning? Show us the heart of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. Enable us with the eyes of faith to behold His tender-heartedness and His mercy towards sinners such as ourselves. And grow us in confidence to draw near to you through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you had the experience of seeing someone from afar, forming a certain perception about them in your mind, and then when you get nearer and get to know them a little more, you find that they're actually quite different from what you initially thought? This is very common, isn't it? I've had that happen a few times. You know, I see someone, maybe someone who's speaking, a particular speaker, and, you know, they come across as very charismatic and exuberant. And then I think this must be a really fun, engaging person to be around. And then you get close and, you know, I sit down with the person and it's actually kind of awkward. They're quite different from what I imagined. Or it can happen in the other way. You might see someone from afar and your perception of them is that they're quite austere and maybe unapproachable and, and strict. And then you come closer and get to know them and you find, oh, this person is really different. They're very warm and actually very gracious. I'd completely misunderstood them. We have that often. We invent a certain image of someone in our minds and then later we realize that we completely misunderstood. And it should come as no surprise that one of the foremost persons that we reinvent in our own minds in this way is our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, many of us, some of us who have even walked with the Lord for years and years, uh, somehow have had this kind of an image of Him framed in our perception. You know, we begin to think things like this. We think, when life is going well, when I am spiritually thriving, when I'm regular in my prayer and quiet times and Bible reading and coming to church, then in those times, Jesus is for me. He's helping me. He's on my side. And then we think, when life is going badly, or when I'm spiritually struggling, when I'm struggling and failing and wandering, then Jesus is far from me. He's distant and aloof. Begin to form this idea. Or we think often, and many of us do, well, Jesus, he, He's God. And as God, He is so far above us, He's so high and exalted that He could never really understand my struggles, our struggles. Well, if that's you, dear friend, then it's my privilege this morning to look at the end of Hebrews 4 with you and to show you that Jesus is utterly different than you think. The main point here 
is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our great high priest. He is compassionate and tender-hearted. And he is able to help you no matter what you're facing. And I pray this morning as we see these deep life-changing truths in Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 that our hearts would be deeply comforted by the heart of Christ himself so that we would hold on to him and so that we would draw near to him with great confidence. In our text this morning, the author comes to this theme of Jesus being our great high priest. So we've seen this briefly before in Hebrews. He alludes to it, mentions it in chapter 1. He talks about it at the end of chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. But now the author is introducing this theme of Jesus as high priest, and it's going to take center stage. Right? Next week, we look at chapter 5 in great detail where he'll explain what it means that Jesus is high priest. When we go through chapters 7 to 10, the theme of Jesus being the high priest is the central line that runs through those chapters. But this week, the topic is introduced. And as we look at Jesus as high priest this morning, we see two commands supported by two reasons, two truths about Jesus as our high priest. Right, so I'll give you the commands and these reasons right now. I'll give you the outline. Two commands. Number one, the first command is we must hold fast to our confession. And the second command is we must draw near with confidence. And then the two reasons for these two commands are these. Number one, our great high priest has passed through the heavens. And second, our great high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. You got that? And the order in which we're going is we'll begin with the first command, then we'll look at the two reasons supporting these commands, and then we'll end with the second command. So the first command, we must hold fast our confession. Let me read to you verses 14 to 16 here. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you missed it, the first command is in verse 14 there. You notice he says, let us hold fast our confession. We must hold fast our confession. And when uh, the phrase hold fast is used, maybe you, you might misunderstand that to mean something to do with speed, quickly. You know, we were singing earlier, he will hold me fast. No, it doesn't have anything to do with speed or doing something fast. Uh, it means, the word fast over there means securely. Hold on firmly. Hold on tightly, securely. Let us hold tightly, firmly to our confession. And again, the word confession, as we've mentioned before, it can have two meanings. Uh, sometimes confession is used in the sense of admitting when you've done something wrong, but that's not the meaning of the word here. Here, confession refers to a truth that we declare, the truth that we believe about Jesus as the Son of God 
and the only Savior for sinners. So he's saying, hold firmly to this truth, to the truth that we have believed. You might remember the context of the letter of Hebrews. Uh, This letter was originally a sermon. It was being preached to a congregation of suffering Christians, weary Christians. They had come from a Jewish background and they had been facing all sorts of persecution and suffering, affliction for their faith in Christ. And this Hebrews is a sermon preached by a concerned pastor to this congregation of saints. In this suffering and persecution that they were facing, they were tempted to turn away from Jesus. To go back and find something more comfortable. Go back to the Old Testament law and being Jews again. And so they were facing persecution and pressure from the outside. And they had grown sluggish and weary on the inside. And the author is speaking to them, writing to them, keeping on reminding them to hold on. Keep on. Don't give up. Carry on by fixing their attention on Jesus. About 10 years ago, I was a seminary student and I was at a pastor's conference where thousands of us, thousands of pastors were there. And uh, one of the main preachers was a man who was a spiritual hero in many ways to many of us. Grown, all of us grown up listening to his preaching. And uh, he had been a Christian for 60 years and had been in ministry for about 40 years. And I remember he got up to speak of the work of God in preserving us. And he began by saying, I've been a Christian. Next month, I would have been a Christian for 60 years. And when I think about the fact that after 60 years that I'm still a believer, I still believe in Jesus, I am amazed. I am amazed. You see, friends, the Christian life is not easy. It's a journey. And on this journey, there are many trials There are many temptations. There are many things that tempt us and entice us to give up along the way. So many things that could cause us to fall short and give up this journey. The author of Hebrews knows that. And of course, he presses on us to keep carrying on. He's done that, as we've seen in several uh, passages, through warnings, warning us of the danger of what would happen if we were to turn away from Christ and the salvation that is found only in Christ. But along with the warnings, he also provides comfort. He comforts us by pointing our eyes to Jesus. And it's this comfort The comfort of looking at Christ, at who He is, at what He's done, that becomes a motivation to hold on in faith, to hold fast to our confession, to the truth we have believed. So what does He tell us about Jesus that will strengthen us to hold on? What does He say about Jesus? Look again at verse 14. He says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. And so we saw the first command, we must hold fast our confession. Here's the first reason the author of Hebrews gives us to hold fast. He says, Jesus, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens. He is our great high priest. To say that he is high priest is to say that he is our mediator. 
He is our representative. He is the one who represents us before God. He is the one who gives us access to God, our Father. You might know that in the Old Testament, we've seen this in the book of Leviticus previously, that God appointed an entire sacrificial system by which His people could approach Him. And there were priests appointed from a particular tribe, the tribe of Levi, among the people of Israel. And these priests acted as mediators. They represent the people before God. Well, Jesus is our high priest. And He is far greater than any of those priests that came before. Those priests were sinful. They were flawed. They eventually died and had to be replaced by others. Not so with Jesus. Our high priest is the great high priest. He is perfect and without sin. No flaw in him. And not only is he human, but he is fully and perfectly God. Do you see that? He says, Jesus, the Son of God. Our high priest is both human and divine. He is fully and eternally God. He is God's own Son who has come and taken on our humanity to act as our representative. We have a perfect, flawless, divine, living high priest who perfectly grants us access to God. And of course, you know, we talk with our Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox friends. Some of you are from that background. And you know that they continue to have uh, human priests uh, on earth, uh, human priests who are appointed to act as mediators and uh, representatives. And we don't have that, right? I'm a pastor. I preach the word of God. Uh, we, as elders, we lead the church and care for the souls of the people. But we're not priests. We're not mediators for you before God. And the reason for that is because Scripture tells us there is one mediator. We have one great high priest, the divine Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And He has passed through the heavens, the author of Hebrews says. What does it mean that He has passed through the heavens? Well, you might remember there was this particular ceremony that took place once a year among the people of God in ancient Israel. It was called the Day of Atonement. You can read more about that in Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, and on the Day of Atonement, once a year, for just a moment, moment in time, one man, the high priest, had access into the immediate presence of God. So they used to worship God initially in this tent called a tabernacle with multiple compartments and then later in a temple. And the innermost room of this tabernacle and later the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And it was in this most holy place that the immediate presence of God was there in all His glory and fullness. And no man could ever enter into that place except once a year on an appointed day, the high priest. After offering sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people, with the blood of sacrifice, with the blood of the offering, the high priest would enter just for a moment into this most holy place, into the immediate presence of God to make atonement for sins. Well, Jesus has come as the great high priest and has completely fulfilled all of that. He has eclipsed it. He has done something far greater. He has not entered into an earthly holy place just for a moment. No, he has passed through the heavens and has entered into the heavenly realm, into God's immediate presence forever, giving us access. 
He offered himself, died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sinners. He rose from the dead victorious and he has ascended into heaven, into God's throne room. He has blazed away into the heavenly realm and he's made that way for us to follow. Where he has gone, we will also be those who have believed in him, in God's presence. He has made a way into God's heavenly kingdom for you and me. That's the theme of Hebrews here. He has made a way home. And he will lead us home. He will take us there. For those who trust him. Not only that, but when we say that Jesus is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens... It also means that Jesus is present now in the presence of God on our behalf as our mediator, making intercession for his people. And what that means is simply this, that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the son of God, your brother or sister in Christ, he is praying for you. At this very moment, every day, all the time, Jesus is praying for his people. He is praying for you. No matter how hard your situation feels, no matter how dark it feels right now, no matter how much you're struggling, know this, that the Son of God who gave his life to save you is now continually praying for you that your faith will not fail. He prays for us. And so, dear friends, I want to encourage you this morning. I know it, it's hard. And I know that things can often get so difficult, so hard. I know that several of you feel tired, just weary, things weighing upon you. I know that for many of you, following Jesus comes at a great cost. It is so costly. But friends, he is worth it. Our great high priest, Jesus, is so worth it. He will never let us go. And so we must hold fast our confession. We must hold firmly to the truth we've believed till the end. We hold fast because our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, has passed through the heavens. He's made a way for us to be there. He will lead us there. And he is praying for you and me even now. But we're tempted to think, aren't we, that this is of no help in our present situation. Sometimes the anxieties and difficulties of our lives can begin to cloud our thinking. So that even now, as I've been saying these things, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're thinking, well, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through. We're often tempted to think, well, you know, Jesus, he's the son of God. He's divine, he's holy, he's exalted, he is perfect. But me, I'm just a lowly, wretched sinner. Or you think, well, he's passed through the heavens. Jesus has passed through the heavens. He's at the right hand of God. He is exalted on high and he is far above all things. But me, I'm here lonely, struggling, flailing, failing, stumbling, flawed and imperfect, just a sinner. How could he possibly help me? How could he possibly understand 
our struggles, our sorrows, our sins. Did you know the original audience of Hebrews felt exactly the same way? Because the author answers those questions in the very next verse. He answers this in verse 15, which leads to our second truth about Jesus, our high priest. So our first command was that we must hold fast our confession. The first truth that we saw is that our high priest has passed through the heavens. The second truth is here in verse 15, and it is this, Jesus, our high priest, sympathizes with our weaknesses. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And if you look at the beginning of the verse, you look at that word for, that word means because. So in other words, the author is saying, let us hold fast our confession. Why? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And if you look at the following verse where the next command comes, verse 16, what does he say? He says, let us then with confidence draw near. So what is the word then indicating? It's like saying therefore. Because of verse 15, the high priest that is, unable, that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, therefore we draw near. So do you see what's happening here? Verse 15 is supporting both of these commands on either side, on verse 14 and verse 16. What kind of structure is that again? That's your sandwich, the Hebrew sandwich there with the meat in the middle. This truth supports both these commands. And so let's go straight to this meat. This is what the author, author wants us to get, verse 15. Here's what the author is saying. Look at the double negative. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, our high priest is able to sympathize. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's what the author is saying. Not only that, he also tells us how it is that Jesus is able to sympathize with us. All in one, one verse. And so I want to come back to the misperception that I mentioned at the beginning of our time. Right? We have this idea, this misperception somehow. It's grown up in many of our hearts and minds that when life is going well, when I am doing well, when I get all my prayers and quiet time done, when I read my Bible, when I come to church, when you know, I'm, I'm being nice to everybody, then Jesus is for me, Jesus is helping me, Jesus is on my side. And when life is going badly, when I'm struggling or failing, or falling down, or when I've wandered off, then he's far from me, he's distant, and he's aloof. We begin to think, the deeper my pain, the deeper my struggles, the more alone I am. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Do you know what that means to say that he sympathizes? It means that he shares in our suffering. He co-suffers with us. His heart is moved by your suffering, by your sorrow, by your struggles. The Lord Jesus Christ 
is inwardly moved. He feels our pain. He feels our struggles. He is concerned with all of our trials, all of our temptations, all of our suffering, all of our struggles, yes, even all of our sin. It all concerns him. He deeply feels the pain that you are going through, dear Christian. He feels for you in your pain. It is his pain. Do you realize how tender-hearted, how compassionate, how merciful, how loving, how gracious is our great high priest, is our Jesus. He's the help of the helpless. He is powerful to those who are powerless. He's the sinless savior of sufferers. And he is the suffering savior of sinners. Dear Christian, his heart bleeds for you in your struggle. His heart yearns for you with affection, deep affection in all your trials, in all your suffering, when you're struggling. His heart overflows with compassion for you when you are tempted, even fiercely tempted. In fact, the more desperate your situation is, the more overflowing His compassion is towards you. And you hear these shocking things and you ask, oh, what about my sins? What about our sins? Do you think that Jesus is put off from you because of your sin? Because of our flaws, our failures, our stumblings, our weaknesses? Do you think our great high priest is put off? You know, some of us have watched these uh, talent shows, right, on TV. And it's okay, you don't need to be ashamed if you watch it, no problem. You can admit that, right? You watch these talent shows, you know, where different performers come up on the stage and they try to perform and there's these judges in a lineup, right? And they have a little buzzer, you know. And sometimes, you know, you have these fantastic performers, but other times you have people come up, uh, and I think they do this purposely on the show, uh, but people come up who, uh, you know, their self-assessment might have been a little bit off, and they think they can sing or dance and they can't really. And, you know, it, it, you're looking at these world-class music producers or performers who are judging and, and they see this act on the stage and, it, and it's just painful, right? You can see it's, it's intolerable. They can't tolerate this. It's painful for them to watch and it's like buzz, you know, babe, right? Or all three of them, buzz, 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 you're done, get out, right? Or, you know, sometimes the judge wants to be a little bit compassionate and so they painfully kind of endure it right? They, they, they can see everything that's wrong with this person who's performing. You can see it while you're watching. You're wondering, like, why is this being allowed to go on? But the judge painfully kind of tolerates it until it's finished because they don't want that person to be discouraged. Right? Do you think Jesus looks at you that way? That he sees us and he sees all of our flaws and imperfection and so he, in his compassion and grace somehow be, just tolerates us. Friends, that's not how Jesus looks at you. The Son of God doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. He gave His life for you. 
His heart overflows with compassion and mercy and grace towards you. Jesus is the spotless, holy, perfect Son of God. But despite our sin, despite our imperfection, despite our numerous flaws and failures, and they are many, He loves us. Even in our temptation, His heart is compassionate towards us. And maybe you ask, how? How can that be? Well, the author tells us. He not only tells us that Jesus sympathizes with us, he also tells us how it is the case that the perfect spotless Son of God can sympathize with us. How it is that Jesus is able to sympathize with us. Look at the second half of the verse. He tells us there. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yes, Jesus is fully God. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son from all eternity. He has his fully divine nature, shares in the divine nature. But Jesus is also fully man. He is fully human. We saw this in Hebrews chapter 2, that Jesus took on our humanity, that he came to be one of us in order to save us. He has been in our shoes so that he is fully God, divine nature, fully human, human nature, two natures in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a great mystery, but he is fully human in every way like us. With one difference, he is without sin. No trace of sin in him, and he never sinned. But he has been tempted like we are tempted. And that's an amazing comfort. Jesus knows what it's like to be us. He knows the sorrows and struggles of this life and of this world. He has lived it. He knows what it's like to be a child. He understands the emotions and struggles of a child because he has been through childhood himself. He knows all of our struggles and all of our pain. You know, on the one hand, Jesus is like a doctor who heals us. But he's more than that. He's not just a doctor who prescribes a medicine and sends you home. No, he's like a friend who puts his arm around us puts his arm around you, who has been through everything that you are going through, and he says, I understand. I know. I get it. As one author says, Jesus knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. And to that we may add, he knows what it's like to be tempted. Tempted in every way. And the Savior who has never sinned, when we are tempted, tells us, I understand. I know what you're going through. And I love you. And even now our hearts grow skeptical and suspicious, right? We look at that and we say, well, 
Jesus has never been in my situation. He doesn't know what it's like to lose a job. He doesn't understand what it's like to have a harsh husband or a difficult marriage or the struggles of parenting is hard. You know, parenting can be hard. He doesn't know what it's like to have to raise up children who are disobeying. Jesus doesn't know that. He hadn't been through that. Dear friend, if that's what you're thinking, Jesus has been through much, much more. He's been tempted so much more in so many ways, far greater than any of us. Think about it. These people to whom the author was speaking, they were tempted to turn away from God, to abandon their faith. And the author says, Jesus has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted just like that, to abandon his mission, to disobey God. In fact, Jesus was tempted and tested and tried in a way that you and I or no human being will ever see or will ever experience. And he was without sin. His entire life from birth to death was a life of temptation, was a life of anguish, was a life of this world constantly assailing him all through his life. No human being has been through the anguish and turmoil and shame that Jesus went through in his life. And you think right to the climax of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's preparing to die for the sins of his people, to bear upon himself the judgment and the wrath and punishment from Almighty God in the Garden of Gethsemane under so much pressure, under so much pressure as he prays that his blood vessels under his skin burst and he sweat great drops of blood. For you and me, submitting to the will of the Father. And then, taken to the cross. They beat him. They pulled out his beard. They mocked him. They spat on his face. They nailed his hands to the cross. He was lifted up naked. Naked before a whole crowd of people. With his flesh torn off and hanging from his body put to shame, under great anguish, and not just the physical pain and physical anguish, but the emotional turmoil. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil in the soul of our Lord in that moment? And the great spiritual weight of bearing upon himself the weight of the sins of all the world and the darkness of being forsaken. And even as he was hanging on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sins, there were people around him constantly mocking him, constantly tempting him and taunting him, saying, you know, if he, if he is the son of God, let him come down from the cross now, and then we'll believe in him. Or saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. What kind of a king is this? Do you not think that in that moment, our Lord Jesus Christ was not tempted, do you not think he would be tempted to come down from the cross and reveal all his power and glory all at once? But no, he submitted to the perfect plan of God to fulfill what was necessary to save you and I who trust in him. He was tempted 
to the uttermost, more than any of us could ever, ever, ever imagine. So think of it this way. Think, you know, after this service, maybe you guys decide to hold a little competition among the staff pastors, right? And so you assemble Pastor Will and Pastor Christian and myself outside. You say, okay, we're going to have this competition now to test you guys. Uh, here's a nice heavy load, and you give us something like, let's say, 25 kilos, about 50 pounds. And then you say, now we're going to see, we want all three of you to carry this load all the way to Ras Al Khaimah. Okay? And, and you've got to make it there today. And so we begin this competition, and we start walking with this heavy load, and you know, Christian walks for about 10 minutes, and then he lays the load down, and he says, that's it, I'm done. I, 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 can't, I can't play this game. And then, you know, I, I like to think, like, I'd make it at least till Dubai, right? So I'd make it to Dubai in the hot afternoon sun, and after I get to Dubai, and I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I lay the load down, and then I'm going to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go to one of these Dubai restaurants that I like and get something to eat. But Pastor Will, man, slow and steady wins the race. Like, he keeps going, and he makes it all the way to Ras Al Khaimah. He gets to the Rack Evangelical Church Center there, and he lays the load down and says, it is finished. And if after this competition we were to ask the question, which one of us, which one of the three knows the full weight and the maximum strain of this load? Well, the answer would be quite simple. It would be Pastor Will. Because you see, Christian and myself would not have known the complete weight and strain of, that this load causes because we laid it down pretty quick. We gave up. But the one who endured without laying it down to the end, who went all the way to the end without giving in, he knows the full weight and strain of this task. And in much the same way, it is our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was tempted in every way, and yet never sinned, who knows and understands the full weight of temptation. Because he never gave up and never gave in, you see. All of us are tempted and we give in pretty quickly. Yeah, we may endure for some time, but then we fall. We fall short. But he never did. And so he understands the full weight, the full suffering, the full strain of temptation. And so the, the import of that for us is this. Since Jesus has endured a suffering and temptation at its greatest force, more than any of us ever will, his sympathy and his understanding is greater than the sympathy of your fellow sinners. He can sympathize with you, dear friend. His heart sympathizes with you in your temptation more than any other person in this world. And he says, this great high priest, this spotless, perfect, holy son says to you and me, wretched sinners like us, he says to us, I don't despise you. I don't look down on you. I love you. Come to me. Come to me. I will help you. I will help you. How should we respond? How should we respond to so great a Savior? Friends, that leads to the second command in our text. We saw the first command that we must hold fast our confession. We saw the two reasons 
for the commands in this text that our high priest has passed through the heavens and that our high priest sympathizes with our weakness. And here's the second command. We must draw near with confidence. Verse 16. We must draw near with confidence. In fact, it's the second command that enables us to keep the first command. We hold fast our confession by drawing near repeatedly, constantly, with confidence. Let's look at verse 16. Let us therefore, let us then, because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come to him with confidence. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to take, you know, one scared little step and then another nerve-wracking little step. No, we can run into the arms of our gracious Redeemer and High Priest. Dear friend, it doesn't matter if you've blown it. It doesn't matter if you've wandered off and don't even know where you are. It doesn't matter if you've fallen down or every day that you stumble and fall short. Maybe you think, I'm not worthy. How can I come to Him? I'm not worthy. But Jesus calls you, come. Come, draw near. There is grace here for sinners in our tender-hearted High Priest. Grace for you and me. What does it mean to draw near? Well, it means to approach. To approach. And first and foremost, this verb is regularly used in the Old and New Testaments to refer to approaching God in worship, to gathering with the church, to coming together as we have come together here, we approach His throne of grace and He meets with us and He supplies us with mercy and with grace. That's the primary meaning of the, of the term, of the word, that we can come to Him as His people. You don't need to be afraid to come to church. So sometimes people feel like, oh, I've struggled, I'm struggling, and you know, I, I can't go to church because I'm struggle, struggling too much. I've been sinning too much. That's like saying, I can't go to the, I'm not going to go to the hospital because I'm too sick. Right? No, this is where you receive the help that you need from our living Savior. And then secondarily, to draw near to Him means to come to Him boldly in prayer. We come to Him in prayer as a people, as His people. And then we come to Him in prayer individually to receive mercy. It says to receive mercy, that we may receive mercy, pardon for all our sins, and that we might find grace to help in time of need. He gives us grace. And this grace is an enabling grace. It's the grace that sustains us, that enables us, that empowers us, that empowers you to get through whatever it is that you're facing. Grace for a needy time, it says. In time of need, He helps us. So I don't know what your time of need is. It might fall into several different categories. But in our merciful High Priest, at the throne of grace, there is grace to sustain you and get you through it. Maybe your time of need, I'm going to ask you, what does this needy time look like for you? Maybe it's affliction. Maybe you're facing great trials in your health, just constant health trials, or at your job, workplace, or trials and conflict with family or other people. Maybe your affliction is 
the affliction of losing someone dear to you, you've lost a dearly loved one and are facing the grief and sorrow of the death of someone you love, there's grace to help in Jesus. Draw near. Even at the hour of your own death, even at that moment of greatest affliction, dear friend, there will be grace to help in time of need. Maybe your needy time is not affliction, but is persecution. Maybe you're facing rejection from family and friends because of your faith in Christ. Or you need to make a very hard decision that's going to be very costly for you because of your faith in Christ. Draw near with confidence. There is grace to help in time of need. Maybe it's not affliction or persecution. Maybe your needy time involves depression. Maybe you're struggling and there's this cloud of darkness constantly weighing upon you. You feel demotivated, you feel weary, you feel worn out, and the darkness just seems to cloud out all the light and will not lift. And you even feel like you're just struggling to even get out of bed. And that's your current season. I know what that's like. I've been there many, many times. Dear friend, in Jesus, there is grace to help in time of need for depressed and weary saints. In times of affliction, times of persecution, in times of depression, in seasons of transition. Maybe you're going through transition and transition is a very hard and needy time because it brings a lot of uncertainty and you're moving on to a place that you don't know, where you have to start from scratch. You don't know what's going to come next. Everything feels like it's out of control. Draw near to Jesus. Grace to help in time of need. And above all these things, of course, in times of temptation. In our temptation. You being tempted to forsake your faith. Or maybe you've wandered so far off that you don't even know how to find the way back. Maybe you've been flirting with some sin that you need to cut out of your life. Whether it's that lie that you've been tempted to tell or that thing that you want to watch that you know you shouldn't watch or that person that you've been wrongfully thinking about. Or maybe it's the people-pleasing and anxiety that you constantly battle inside. For some of you, it might be a struggle with bitterness. Someone has sinned greatly against you, and this is a struggle, bitterness, to let it go. I've struggled that way. Friends, in every temptation, in our merciful high priest, there is grace to help in time of need. Come to him. Draw near. And I want to speak to you if you're here this morning and you don't know him. If you're here this morning and if you've never drawn near to Jesus, if you're here and you've never known the tender-hearted, compassionate, merciful, loving heart of this great Savior, I want to call to you this morning. I want you to hear Him call to you to come to Jesus. He is the Holy Son of God who died for sinners to bear the penalty for our sins so that we might receive mercy and forgiveness of sins. And he calls you to come and trust in him. He calls you to draw near. He has risen from the dead and he offers you life, dear friend. I want to call you, dear friend, to in faith see and behold 
the merciful, loving, tender heart of Jesus, of Christ, towards sinners like you and me. Would you come to him? Brothers and sisters, Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Let us draw near with confidence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a great high priest, the Son of God, merciful, tender, and compassionate towards us. We pray that we would draw near in confidence to him and receive the mercy and grace that we need for our needy, weary souls. In Jesus' name, amen.